Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready, so let us begin. So the 20 starts out where Rey has walked out into the middle of the Pisana Desert, and she's hearing the roaring engine of a TIE fighter. Uh, it's Kylo Ren, and he's coming up the bend, and he is going, and he's barreling down on her. She turns away from him and pauses and begins to sprint. Uh, Kylo Ren looks like he's about to take her out. She backflips over, cuts his uh, TIE fighter in half. It goes spinning away. It explodes uh, and then she tries to save Chewie from uh, being flown away and taken by the Knights of Ren. She uses the Force to, to pull him back uh, to try and uh, tug him out of the sky. And then Kylo tries to kind of be another. They do a tug of war, uh, tug of war with the Force essentially, and this item in the sky. Ray gets mad, and then she uses lightning and blows up what she thinks is a uh, transport carrying Chewbacca. She gets. Uh, upset and then she jumps on the Oshi ship and our heroes uh, leave. So she's obviously quite distraught because she didn't know that she had that finger lightning capability at all. It was just this phantom evil power that kind of came from within her, this sense that she's had that maybe she has the dark side within her. She begins to confide this in Finn, telling Finn that there's things he doesn't understand, that she's had this vision that uh, she may in fact belong alongside Kylo Ren on the throne of the Sith, and this is quite a haunting thing. This is when 3PO sees fit to share with the group that he does have like a photographic memory of what the the dagger looked like so we don't really need chewy with the dagger after all uh poe uh also has a resource they can use where they can get that information out of 3po without him having to breach his internal code but in order to do that they're going to have to go to kajimi where he has something of a history Yes, so our heroes go to Kajimi to meet up with a black market droidsmith uh, who can pull 3PO's hidden memory banks uh, and then thus find the Wayfinder. Uh, our heroes bump into Poe's old spice running flame, uh, and she's impressed by Ray because she decides she's going to get her goons to take them in, but then Ray kicks some ass and she's like, I like you. Uh, and so she takes them to Babu Frick, the droidsmith. Uh, Babu erase 3PO's memory. Uh, memory go bye-bye. Uh, to reveal the Wayfinder location uh, and that it's in an Imperial vault on the moon of Endor. Uh, and then Kylo uh, and his Star Destroyer and Knights of Ren arrive on Kajimi and Rey senses that and that they need to leave, but also that Chewie and the Dagger are on the ship. Hooray! And the only other thing is Zori gives them a get out of town free card, uh, which is a captain's medallion from the First Order that allows them to escape the blockade and escape onto Kylo's Star Destroyer. Right, and the procedure on uh, 3PO's memory is successful, and they're able to determine exactly where they need to go to find the Emperor's Wayfinder. Yeah, the Imperial Vault on Moon of Endor. Right, so I'm not exactly sure where you want to begin. Uh, The obvious... I mean, the obvious exciting moment of the 20 is... Ray discovering that she has this lightning within her, which is which is tormenting because it's a symbol of of the dark side. I find it kind of ironic that in an act of love, what's what's frankly like she's trying to save her friend, mm. the dark side gets out of her. Like even if she does have the dark side within her, it's very interesting that uh, this visual representation of the dark side power comes out because she's just doing something passionately to save her friend. Can you explain that at all? I don't see it as being at all passionate about saving her friend. I see it being as purely she wants to save her friend. And now fucking Kylo Ren isn't dead and is not letting her do it. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's he competitive. Is, 
it will it, it, no it's not competitive it's more just like in she's infuriated right because every like he he took away han uh he's trying to take away everything in the galaxy he's trying to like just force her to be his second in command uh, or to be his equal almost actually but um because that he wants her to be his equal, he uses the force, and then she gets nowhere. As right. opposed to saving Chewbacca, she's now like, "Fuck!" I, I, now I'm, uh, we're back to nowhere. She's angry, and then the lightning comes out purely just from anger. Uh, so that's yes. the way I interpret it, uh, and it's kind of a don't know your own strength moment. I, I think it's a it's really good moment, one of it the is. better moments in the, in the film. Uh, I, I did tap you your, your knee, and, and when we were in the movie, saying I knew it was coming. Um, because I just when she was struggling there, I was like, "Oh, we're gonna see lightning for uh, sure." So I was, but I, I can remember you and and you and I both had a really visceral reaction when it appears as though Chewie has died, and then in in no time at mm. all, it it's clear that he's not died. And I, w- whether or not you think it's a good thing that he died, and and frankly, I he didn't die. I I, I think it's would have been better if they committed to his death. As much as I don't want to see Chewbacca dead, I think that it was so evocative when we thought mm. he was dead. What was a more uh, a more striking moment for you emotionally? Was it when you thought he was dead or when you realized he wasn't? Um, that's a really good question. Because you were quite I, relieved, I remember. I, w- I, I was. I thought, oh, I totally thought they killed him. Yeah. Um, but I think it's because I held out hope that it was the bigger shock that because I, I I saw the lightning coming, which meant, oh shit, Chewie's dying. Yeah. And when it happened, it's like everything lined up and I was just like, oh fuck. Um, but I still held out hope that he could be alive. So I think that was the thing that surprised me and got, I, I was really excited he was alive, but I agree with you in the sense that the storytelling best answer would have been to kill Chewbacca, especially because we go on so many fake out deaths in this movie that this is one that actually carried some weight. The 3PO one would have also worked. You could have erased his memory uh, and kept it that way, but I liked them restoring it with R2 at the end. But the reason why that sucks is because you do this too repetitively throughout the movie and then we just feel cheated. You need to be able to have some of these things have weight. And in the end, um, besides Ben Solo, does Snap Wexley, is he the second most important character <laughs> who dies in this movie? I think... Uh, besides, sorry, Leia is the most important character, but not the same thing. That's it all. Right, and then Palpatine, I guess, but he is like a villain, assuming he does in fact die. Um, yeah. Well, Yeah. Okay, I, I, I think that probably it would have been better if, if Chewie had died, but maybe not in this movie. Like, they they can't expect the Star Wars audience to uh, forgive Rey for killing Chewbacca if then it her story wraps up and she's the ultimate hero. Like, that's going to be so effective. Even if she didn't do it intentionally, it's going to be, uh, it's just too much of a rush job if we don't get some kind of gratification on, on the, the Chewie story really quickly. Um, I think it would have been good for her to kill Chewbacca because it would have mirrored Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren killed his father and Ray kills Chewbacca. Uh, one's, yeah. one's kind of by, both are by accident to a degree or both are accidental. It's just, it's like Kylo's is, it's in, on purpose, but at the same time, he doesn't want to sort of thing. But she hasn't had like a, a long history with Chewbacca. She she hasn't even had as long of a history with Chewbacca as we have, you know? And, no. And, and Chewie, uh, while a great, sidekick one of the great movie sidekicks of all time in fact has been pretty 
inconsequential in this trilogy. And that's not a thing that we talk about at all. I'm not even necessarily sure it's the wrong thing, like the way I think that R2-D2 mm. is underserved in the sequel trilogy. I think maybe Chewie is in this trilogy the right amount, but it is interesting that they chose to minimize him as much as they did, considering the the significance of Chewie in Star Wars in general. You're right, but I think he, I, I think... I think you're spot on. I think they used him the absolute right uh, amount in this sequel trilogy. I didn't feel underserved on my Chewbacca. We get a bunch of amazing moments in The Force Awakens, and it's subtler throughout, but he still sticks around. And I mean, you're happy he survives, of course. And right. So, I mean, in the long run, uh, yeah, uh, I think they did Chewbacca right in the sequel trilogy as an overall, and I'm glad he made it out, but... Uh, in a in a vacuum, this little moment is better if Chewbacca actually dies. I wonder if they could have timed the sequence a little differently so that there was just another beat where it occurs to Rey that she can maybe use force pull to get that ship back to the to the ground because she seems to... Re I don't know if she knows she's capable of this feat. Like, obviously, it's going to be difficult whether she spurts lightning or not. But, like, she doesn't even think about it. She just reaches out that hand and mm. it, it almost might have been nice if she's like standing there alone, terrified that he's escaping, and then she looks down at the palm of her hand or something. There's just another two seconds where she considers what she might be capable of rather than just deciding what she is capable of. That's an interesting point. Uh, I was more focused on some of the other issues that I had with uh, with that scene. Uh, yeah, there's a few. It's, it's, it's a little tricky. Number one, Kylo exploding. Yeah. Completely exploding yep. into a ball of fury, um, <laughs> like it, it's like it's a it's a full fledged explosion, and it's just the cockpit that explodes. Yeah, it makes no sense for him to survive. I don't care how strong Kylo Ren is. Um, Finn really like, was not paying attention at all to which transport Chewie was on. How could you like, miss how, that? How how do you how do you not get that Finn? I like, I understand why Ray doesn't get it. She just chopped Kylo Ren's ship in half post trying to get them to take off. Finn, pay the fuck attention. It's the only thing Finn is doing in that scene is watching Chewbacca get arrested. Exactly. It's very disorienting for the audience uh, and I mean us, especially the first time you view it cuz you're like not even necessarily sure there's more than one transport there. So when he survives, no. you're like what the hell are you talking about? They made it back. I don't know. I, I immediately understood it. it. It didn't seem, but I agree. It was. It doesn't make any sense in in, in the moment at all. Um, and I, I guess you can say, but they don't. They don't give us any reason to think that. Right. It's just a matter of it, you can piece it together after, and it makes sense. But they don't give us any reason to remotely suspect that. Um, and so, although I dislike that. I do love the reactions of Ray and Finn when yeah. Chewie, like the the chili, and then the Finns, no! no, and just like how like they're both so so like heartbroken. It's 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 great. I think it's um, it's a weird moment though to look at Kylo Ren, yeah, because he doesn't really have any emotion about it. So that's kind of weird, but. You're Makes right. Like he's definitely known Chewie his entire life, and there was like a, a good portion of his life where Chewbacca would have been like his uncle. Yeah, and but Chewbacca also shot him too. True. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So he he would not like Chewbacca the same sort of way because it would also remind him of his father, which Mars most than anything. I guess, but I don't. I don't really see that like that shot that Chewie takes at Kylo. That's not even personal. That's about Han. Of course. 
But it's also personal a little bit. <laughs> can, can we back it up? Because I just want to nitpick about something lightsaber related. And it's and it's worth paying a little bit of, of attention to the amazing backflip that Ray does when, when yeah. he's hunting her down in that X Very or, cool. uh, Y-Wing. It's it's so cool. It was a great tra- a great trailer moment. It gave us a lot of excitement for the movie. And, yeah, that, the tug of war, the lightning, all very cool. Um, I've, I've always been kind of curious about exactly how much... Uh, force and i don't mean the force i just mean force physical force power a lightsaber has against various metals and i think two great examples are ray who's strong with the force but you know like a small person um backflips over this uh uh tie fighter and cut and cuts the wing right off versus uh phantom menace qui-gon jinn who is like a six foot seven irishman (laughs) And he's trying to get through those blast doors in the opening scene of the the Phantom Menace, and he's pushing that thing through his lightsaber. And I realize there's like more doors closing over his lightsaber, but like, can the lightsaber blade not just move through anything metal, or does it actually require like, is there a lot of resistance? You don't know. It, 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 in Star Wars canon, because everything has context to it, it is there are a lot of canon materials, right? Min- minerals, steels, metals. There are dozens of canon Star Wars materials. And so I guarantee you somewhere, the materials <laughs> that require to be light enough to be within a TIE fighter, and TIE fighters generally have lower levels of protection built within them, would be logically a lighter, easier to cut metal than would be used in blast doors, which would require some level of force field protection, whereas uh, TIE fighters would have minimal protection in that regard. Okay. So, that's a pretty good there, answer. There's there's some good logic in yeah. there, but that is purely because, like, that's just it's convenient. I, I'm saying all these things because right. I, I you just you piece it together. But like Star Wars has built these kind of like the like the time clocks, like building it around Coruscant, and like they build they, they have a lot of rules that have allowed you to um, to just put, piece together answers like something like that. Well, it's almost like a, it's they, a contradiction a little bit. Yes. They create rules to explain away the plot holes within their story, which, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a rich enough universe, go for mm-hmm. it. It's great. And exactly. Because then those rules are new rules that you can then use to enrich your story. And when star Wars does that, it's my absolute favorite thing. Exactly. It's the most unifying thing of all and really brings it back to that lived in feeling. Whereas in like a new hope, Nothing is described because we don't have any context to pull from other than what they're giving us at that specific point. So everything is consistently just restating itself as new, which is always cool. So there's no verbal interaction between Kylo and Ray. She just runs off after the Chewie incident, uh, and she has that moment with Finn. Um, and by Problem the way, we, did, we didn't we didn't mention there was there's one other very evident moment where Finn shows to have some kind of force instinct because he's the one who mm. acknowledges for our benefit that it's that it's Ren who's entered the fold. He says to yeah. Poe, Ren is here. Yeah, that's right. And he probably does his I've got a feeling line again. Yeah. Um, so but, what, what's your issue with the conversation between Finn and, and Ray? Uh, here is your opportunity to make some prequel fans happy and provide some consistency and some some rhyming with Anakin. Like, we've seen Ray's visions throughout this entire sequel trilogy. We saw Anakin's visions in Revenge of the Sith. And now she's having some random vision about sharing a throne with Kylo. Yeah. That we, that we the audience, just, we, we don't get to see that one. 
We get to see the exposure to everything else. We get to understand what's in her thoughts and all these visions she keeps having about like Oshi or when she touches the lightsaber. But now she's in a position where we don't get to, to find a nice mirror to the prequels. She just talks about some weird ass vision sharing the throne with Ren. And also, she's never been tempted. She shows no reason to go to the dark side. The throne only has enough room for one person to sit on it. There's not a second it's, seat. You're right. It's not a love seat. No, exactly. And so, like, just it, it, it does not make sense to me. <laughs> I, I, I really, really don't. Like, because the way Anakin's dream is kind of mysterious and allows you to believe, oh, shit, maybe some bad stuff's happening. I don't for one second think for one second that, oh, is Rey going to end up on the Sith throne with Kylo Ren? No. No, she's not. No. But like that that also goes to say that her visions suck compared to Anakin's. <laughs> Which might be true. Yeah, it, can, it would be like if I had a dream where I was in a gang and then I was like, Ross, I'm really upset. I had a dream where I was in a gang. I might join a gang. And you'd be like, well, yeah. you'd well, you, you, be like, well, you could just choose not to join a gang. <laughs> That's right. I've never known you to be someone... <laughs> And then you'd be like, no one knows me. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Things you couldn't possibly understand, brother. That's right. And then we head to Kajimi. And I have scarcely been so underwhelmed by a new world introduced mm. in Star Wars. There's something. Pretty dull. There's something like Dickensian muck about it. There's something very amazing grace about <laughs> like do you know what i mean like it's it's just like back streets and i understand that it's supposed to be a community that's been decimated by the first order some time ago and the children are gone and there's just it doesn't feel like a world it feels like a set almost like it, it, that's it, exactly what i was going to say it's so clearly a soundstage yeah it really bothers me when they're like on the streets and posed doing like the stairs and like it's just so soundstagey it feels like the scene in friends when when joey's shooting a wartime play and it's got like this like shitty scenery around it where like there's rocks and boulders and yeah. it's like trying to like old wartime like it's it's just it's bad set piecing um i also don't like K that kajimi looks like it's just a small town in like the mountains and then they treat it like an entire planet, which there's some, a lot of inconsistency there. Uh, yeah. Kajimi, Kajimi's boring. I don't mind the plot that happens on Kijiji and Kajimi. And I think it's logically like a cool idea for a planet, like with cities in the mountains, but it's just really boring. Like you said, it's like, yeah. it's like it's Whoville almost. Yes. That's a good way to put it. And you know, I guess it's a little bit better explained, but we have another instance of, uh, the people who were trying to avoid immediately find our heroes. Like, I, I know that, that Zori says, I heard a rumor mm -hmm. that you were spotted over at this docking bay, but like she finds them right away. And it ends up being helpful. But it, in well, her- the, the Knights of Ren were following. Right, right. And in her short little arc, which really exists pretty much entirely contained in this 20, and I know she makes one brief comeback later in the movie, but pretty much all of Zori, Zori Bliss exists in this 20. Mm. Um, and it is so um, volatile her up and down in relationship mm -hmm. with Poe. And I understand that that they're probably exes, but like, why are, why are, like, are they, would they still hook up? Like, can I get a kiss? And like, she's, she's like murderously angry at him, but mm -hmm. then so quickly she invites him to run away together. And then she gives away her, her parking token. And by the way, is that mm -hmm. the first time we've heard of these parking tokens in Star Wars? That's first order. Captain's medallion. I've never seen a real one. Free passage through any blockade, landing privileges, any vessel. What they're doing is they're trying to mirror Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And when they steal, when they steal the shuttle Tidarium, and like they get on their plan, place to Endor, and the captain's like, "Well, it's old, but it checks out." Blah 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 blah. Right. Um, 
it's just, it's worse because that ship does not look in any way first order or Imperial. And it's like, it would have been decommissioned that it's, 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 it's weird. Right. It's, it's a bit, it's, it works. Sure. But it, it doesn't really, it's just another tool used to advance the plot. And also, I have a theory. We've talked a little bit about how there remain remnants in this movie, in this final cut, of an uh, earlier draft wherein Poe and Ray are paired off. Yeah. Um, I th- I think the exchange between Zori and Ray, where she's like, not that you care, but I think you're all right, and Ray says, I care, I think that is a remnant of that initial ideology as well. I think that was written in there because they planned to pair Ray up with Poe. Oh, potentially. That would make a lot of sense, actually. I thought Ray does have some funny dialogue, in ex- or just at least the way she describes her wording when she's talking to Zori. Yeah. Uh, like, Zori! is <laughs> uh, just very, very frustrated by all the circumstances going on. And then there's the spice runny stuff. By the way, your your buddy here used to be a drug dealer, and they uh, they milk it for all it's worth, and it's not worth much. It is not worth much at all. It's like... Okay, before he joined the resistance, he had a slightly shady past. Maybe we went in, uh, we went in pretty hard on this last uh, yeah. last twenty, so we don't need to talk about it too much. I do have to say though, there were a couple good uh, quotes that go around that. Yeah, uh, Finns, Poe Dameron, Spice Runner, Runner of Spice, get your spice, get your spice. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then Finn, Poe, and Ray. Finn, you were a Spice Runner. Poe, you were a Stormtrooper. Ray. Were you a spice runner? Poe, were you a scavenger? We could do this all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that was good. He is very hostile in this movie, and, and particularly towards 3PO. For a guy who's introduced to us as like having a real strong kinship with his droid, he so, hates 3PO. So what happens here first? You talk first, I talk first. Right. Um, and also loves the droid. Yeah, he's he's a totally different person from the guy we meet at the start of it's The a Force bummer. Awakens. And they make it like it's like he's jaded in war, but last I checked... That was a year ago. Right, and, and he this was the war problem. has been going on for like five or six years. So he really, was... why is he only jaded in this one year? And yes, you're right. He took out most of their forces. <laughs> right, and I, he has a right to be despondent about Crate and how that didn't go according to plan. Mm. But like leading up to that, he was a real pissant with Holdo for a whole mm-hmm. movie. Absolutely. And this, this also goes back to uh, there not being enough of, a, of an overall our characters don't have enough time to grow in right. the sequel trilogy because it takes place over only over a year. That's Whereas right. At least the original trilogy, it was a few years and uh, the prequels, it was maybe even a little bit too long, but it was like 14, 13, 14 years. So what do you think of Dio? Do you like Dio? Dio is a just pretty unnecessary. That's right. In, yeah. in, in, in every way. Does uh, nothing. Cute though. Noth- I, I, I have nothing wrong with Dio and I'd be more okay with Dio if it didn't also mean that R2 was just completely tossed away. Mm. And also if he maybe served a little bit bigger of a purpose or maybe if there weren't just so many unnecessary new things. Yeah. I think it was just a way to get JJ Abrams in the movie without putting him in the movie. He does the voice and the squeaky wheel thing is kind of cute, I guess. Yeah. uh, uh, Squeak eliminated. Thank you. Very kind. I find the fact that he like shows signs of being an abused puppy kind of too on the nose. Like like Ray reaches out to yeah. touch him, and he like he he retreats like he's been abused. It's just it's just too. It's very real, and yeah, I just don't it buy is. it. I I know that our our droids have always had somewhat human like emotions in Star Wars, but it's just it, it. This is very sad. 
what about this droid would be useful? What does it do? Yeah. Why does Oshi have it? Uh, blow dry your hair, probably. He looks like a hair dryer. He's supposed to look like a like a duckling. Oh yeah, I see that. He does to be following that. follow BB-8 around. Right. Okay. Yeah, but again, which I guess no, no development. Nope, none whatsoever. Uh, I guess they need another rolling droid to go on, uh, go alongside the, the horses at the end of right. the movie. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let's talk about though the the number one winner of the twenty by a goddamn landslide. Okay. Vavu. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yes. Scene droid stealer. Memory, go blank, blank, blank. Hello, I bubble freak. Why, hello. And, and when he turns up later in the movie, it's so stupid that he turns up, but you're still just so happy to see him that it's okay. Oh, uh, I'm totally okay with it. Totally yeah. okay with it. Uh, it's even so stupid, the fact that the way he just rises up out of the cockpit, like he's been <laughs> like laying on the floor between her legs. <laughs> it's just a good in general rapport between uh, Bobby Frick and 3PO. Everything they yeah. exchange is is just really sweet and genuinely oh, hilarious. It's excellent. And one of my favorite lines in the movie is going to come up later when 3PO says, oh, Babu Frick, he's one of my oldest friends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what more to say about him except for that he's a blast. He's just super cute. He's funny. He's very Star Wars-y. Uh, he just seems drunk. He's, he's a hoot. He's an absolute star. And this becomes, this becomes a really, really dry dry 20 if he's not in it like this is like it is really boring if he's not in it he's provides the laughs that go along with the 3po moment that's kind of the only and really them like 3po translating is that's one of the biggest things that really happens in the whole damn 20 it's really the only thing that happens other than the chewy death of the start but that's a big deal that's a that's a really big deal though yeah but it it also gets erased same with 3po i know but giving a, up his memory it's it's obviously a big real reveal to show that ray has force lighting in her hands that's that's yes, not nothing ab- absolutely because it's a huge foreshadow to the palpatine thing obviously as well uh it is this is has nothing to do with the story but i think it's a general um goof that they failed to demask carrie russell any more than they did what a shame yeah she's like a beautiful person and a great actor you might as well take her helmet off yeah, and also it gives you that opportunity to do like the the hair flowing out of the helmet thing, yes. as opposed as opposed to her just like lowering her visor just right. slightly, right? Uh, and it also would build up a little bit more of the sexual tension, like let me lower my visor when I come, or, or take off the helmet, and just it makes it, it's just it's a, such a weak attempt. Yeah, it doesn't really uh, work. Although for me. I do have a, there's a couple good lines from Zori. Um, they win by making you think you're alone. Remember, there's more of us. That's nice. Uh, and that really is one of the most summarizing lines of the entire movie. And one of my absolute favorite themes in the movie. It is probably my favorite theme in the movie that they succeed on entirely is like the way that it's just people at the end and it's not actually like a militia i think they do a terrible job of bringing the people into the situation because i don't know how lando got like a million different ships to fly through all those obstacles but i I like the principle that they do and i think this is good to foreshadow up to that and then also uh who are you hanging out with that speaks sith (laughs) yeah i and i like the line but I, I just find it kind of strange because I know that you understand this because you have a lot of background in Star Wars lore. And I guess I it's not a hard reach for me to appreciate that uh, there there is old Sith language that's only, you know, uh, readable to to the Sith. But but to just fundamentally talk about Sith as if it's a language, as if it's a country is kind of cheap to me. Like, oh, you can't read it because it's in Sith language. 
is just it's just an oversimplification of what the Sith are. I think. Uh, I would compare it to Parcel Tongue uh, as someone who I know you like, like yeah. like Harry Potter, and I think that's it's a very fair comparison to what I would think this would be. Okay, uh, a, like a lost language that is it's just not a thing. And so Zori, it's, I would be like saying like, if like say like Atlantis had a famous language and you said like, you're hanging out with somebody who speaks the language of Atlantis. You'd be like, what? <laughs> that yeah. doesn't make any sense. So that's kind of the way I see this. Uh, like more so as like, not you're hanging out with a Sith. You're like, what kind of freak show are you hanging out with that claims they're speaking Sith? Right. Okay. That's <laughs> fair. That's a very fair defense. That's good. We, so I, I I think the parcel tongue is the way I try to view this language and thus making it easier to interpret that 3PO would have a harder time like translating it. Right. You know, speaking of 3PO, there's one other thing that we didn't mention, which is a big, big trailer moment. And it's just in general, uh, one of the best moments of the movie. When Poe says, what are you doing there, 3PO? He says, taking one last look, sir, at my friends. Uh, and it, it is. And it's it's beautiful. It's kind of a shame that none of them are the friends that, that we know. Like it, when when it really feels like it's written to be a line for us, the Star Wars fans who are taking one last look, sir, at your friends. These mm. are not the friends you've known since 1977. Um, These so are I, not the friends you're looking for. No. I, I just, I love the way the line is phrased and the way it's spoken is very sincere. And for 3PO mm. of all people to say it is touching. Um and so for that reason, I really love it and, and what it could represent. Mm. It maybe could have been better placed in the film, but that's that's fine. Yeah, it, there's no Chewbacca there, and there's no Leia there, and there's no R2 there. To be honest, more than anything, the R2 um, putting back his memory later on, which is also a little bit cheap because he says R2's memory units are very unreliable. But, oh, yeah. Like, I, I'll trade that for having R2 there. Right, so but that you have almost like that moment to be even bit better. Like, but it's just like you're you're like he's known Poe for a few years, but Poe's being a dick to him in this movie. No, but it's not a, it's not about that literally. It is about no, it it's about it Star about Wars. It's about Star Wars. The fans, like he's literally facing the camera when he says it. Like, I mm -hmm. that we we're making a meal out of the fact that this is our last Star Wars movie. Whether or not that turns out to be true, obviously remains to be seen. But. Uh, I'm going to turn to the audience that's sitting there with their popcorn and as psyched as can be, and I'm taking one last look, sir, at my friends. And I, I think it's kind of nice. Now, it's yeah, funny. I, you, you mentioned that thing about, about R2. He does briefly mention that R2's uh, memory server is famously unreliable. Babu, can you make him translate it? Yes, but it will cause a complete, a complete memory wipe. Wait, wait, wait. We make him translate it. He won't remember... Anything. Good. Remember, I go black. Oh. Black, black. There must be some other way. Doesn't R2 back up your memory? Oh, please. R2 storage units are famously unreliable. Is that an inside joke about R2-D2 exceptionalism? Like, we know that that's, of course, not going to be a problem because R2 is excellent. Or is that true of R2 units? Do they not have great memory? Uh, it would not be an R2 unit instance, and and I don't believe it's 3PO rolling his eyes because, like, oh, R2's perfect. I think that's 3PO shitting on R2 the way he always does. I think that's just him being, like, because he's just a simple astromech droid. And, like, he probably blames him for everything. Yeah, no, he three, doesn't. Three P yeah. But 3PO only knows half of the information, always. And right. so R2 knows the full picture, and so 3PO thinks R2's crazy. Yes, that's and fair. And... And so, like, all these things, like, he's talking about, like, the way, like, uh, like why is R2 going off looking for Luke at the start of A New Hope? 
He's he literally R two three PO was built on Tatooine, and three PO says, "I'm not going there." But R two is on a mission because he kind of knows what he's doing there. He's like, "Wait a minute, my old master." And I, oh shit, I know what's going to happen. I yeah. know what I need to do. Right. I'm on my mission. But he's like, you idiot, stupid droid. So I actually think that one's kind of a nice callback to the one of the very first scenes in Star Wars. No, that's what kind of what I was asking. Maybe I didn't phrase it properly, but I thought that maybe mm. that was referencing this ongoing uh, theme of 3PO underappreciating, yes, undervaluing R2. Definitely. Sorry. Yes, I, that's absolutely the way it would be. Anymore- um, also, we, we found out in the last movie, he's still got the Leia recording. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, R2's good. And that's what I mean by exceptionalism. R2 is, yes. is above all. Sorry, I see what you mean. Yeah. Any more quotes that you want to highlight? Uh, there's a couple of okay ones, like when, um, I, I, gee, I, th- I don't remember who says this. Uh, I want to see your brains in the snow. Oh, Zori oh, says that. Oh, Zori says that to Poe, yeah. So he says, you're still mad? That's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, a couple of 3PO ones. Uh, it's a dangerous and sinful act performed on unwitting droids by dregs and criminals. Right. Uh, and I haven't the faintest idea why I agreed to this. I must be malfunctioning. I must be malfunctioning. And also, whoever this Chewbacca person is, this is madness. When they get back in the ship and 3PO reveals that he has the the information from the from the knife memorized he says so true the inscription lives only in my memory now and this just might be me and my tastes uh getting in the way but this is oh that's a good that's a better line than i realized it's it's titanic that's exactly what old rose says about jack she says he exists only in my memory now and i think that's a coincidence but (laughs) it's a good line it's a good line in both movies i like it because memory the the double meaning of memory from like an actual programming perspective the way that they do it and that it's actually harvested from his memory banks yes but that that is just a general phrase and just the last quote would be uh one from ray that is uh, a good kind of nod to what 3po has always been doing for us and you know the odds better than any of us do we have a choice yeah and i thought thought that was a good one because no one ever wants 3po to tell them the odds and for once okay 3po it's your call and tell us the odds and he's like shit this is the one time the odds favor that i have to do something (laughs) that i don't want i have to do the risky thing because of the odds now so you already uh kind of alluded to knowing the answer to this question i want you to be as specific as your big star wars brain can allow you to be where does 3po say the empire's uh way the emperor's wayfinder can be found this is the padawan question yeah i i've rearranged them because i know you know where this is um, it's, well, it's in the Im- Imperial vault on a moon in the Endor system. Um, do you know the coordinates? I'm trying to think of them. Delta three, six transient nine, three, six, uh, something three, two. Yeah, how do you know that? How is that just... Is that actually right? You just reach... Bearing 3-2. Oh, it's in front of your face. That's why. No. I don't have it in front of my face. I have. Well, I didn't while I was answering you. Uh, I don't know. I smell funny business. Yeah, it is. It's Delta 3-6, transient 9-3-6, bearing 3-2 in a moon in the Endor it's, system. It's because it was my master question ah. for you. Because <laughs> I didn't think it was remotely reasonable to ask. That's why it was on my screen. I have a better master question for you, but you ask me a question first. Uh, okay, uh, Padawan question. Who plays the one-eyed bartender in the cantina on Kijimi? I don't know. I don't even remember a one-eyed bartender. Who is it? 
He is, I'll give you a hint, he is one of the top three most important people in Star Wars. Wow. I mean, I'm, that that makes me inclined to say Mark Hamill, except for that he's already played other people. And it's not, it's not Ewan McGregor or Hayden Christensen. No. It's Mark Hamill. No. Who it's is it? an actor. It's John Williams. Oh, shit. Well, that, that makes sense. Yeah, it's his only time. It's his first time. It's his only credit, I think, in any movie ever. It is a hot take to say he's a top three most important Star Wars person. So I it, don't. I don't think it's a hot take. No, look, I think that the music in Star Wars is is essential. But how are we shaking this down? Top three, like George Lucas, number one. Yeah, and then who's the other person in the top three? I don't know. It's a good question. Um. It's difficult because then you always you go back to like in terms of like in theory it's that the three people who contributed to uh, a new hope success because it allows for everything else to move forward. But right. if you want to look at like the entirety of the of everything, I think George Lucas and John Williams have contributed the most. Yeah. Absolutely, if you look at uh, the entirety of all of it, I'd say beyond that. Um, I think that the, the music in Star Wars changed film. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's I'd, it's cha- it changed everything about music and film. I, I would say the third, if you, if we're doing it in truly what we believe um, contributes to all of Star Wars, I believe it is the top three, and it would be George Lucas, John Williams, and Ralph McQuarrie. Who's Ralph McQuarrie? He did the artwork. Oh, okay. So he is the 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 mind for all artwork inspiration in star wars because they're even still pulling some of the concept art from a new hope to do new things all the time talk about an unsung hero though oh absolutely ralph mccrory is like and his his art's so beautiful and like i I love the coffee table books of star wars and such and um it's just so cool to see the inspiration that uh people will take Uh, i mean even still jj the emperor's throne the big pointy throne is a ralph mccrory design Oh, okay. I think I did know yeah. that. We talked about that before. A Jedi Knight question. Where does Zori say she's going now that she has saved up enough? Oh. Um, this is assuming you're not looking at the script. No, I had it as a question. I was like, okay, I, I wrote it down a couple of days ago. Oh, okay, so okay. I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to see if I can remember it from memory. Um, the colonies? Yeah, but I, I guess you don't know what that means. No, I don't. That's why I was trying to see, is it more specific or is it just nope. say the colonies? Just go into the colonies. Okay. And that's when they reveal okay. the thing with the token. Yes, how how right. are you going to get there? I've got this thing. I've got this chiclet. All right. Well, a similar question. Um, where does Zori say she heard Poe was spotted when he stupidly came back to Kajimi? I'll never get get it, but it's some docking bay, right? Yeah. Monk's Gate. Okay. All right. All right, I'm proud of this question, my master question. This is the best question I've come up with in a little while. For how much of the film's runtime is Chewie perceived as dead? Oh, good God. Um, well, it's this within this 20, I divided uh, this film up into seven because six didn't work. And so they're on average, I think, like 19, 18 minutes per episode, not 20. And so it's maybe a minute, two minutes. So I'm going to say like, because you've asked me, maybe it's like a really on the nose round number. Um, So I'm going to say 16 minutes exactly. 
Wait a second. You think Chewie is dead for 16 minutes in this movie? It, it's believed dead. No, he's he's believed dead for two minutes and one second in this movie. Oh my God. Are yeah. you kidding me? It's, it's, the, it's that the, little? It's the next scene. It's it's the first scene on Kajimi? Real? What? That doesn't make sense. Seriously? It doesn't happen on Kajimi. We find out when they're in, in the ship with Donald Gleason. We've got a very important... Um, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant our heroes. Oh, I see. No. Sorry. Just us, I, the we, audience. Yeah, no, I was thinking of when Ray realizes like at the end of the 20... Oh, he's alive. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very, very little for us. I'm just trying to comment on the fact that like they so quickly... Were, they got so nervous uh, that, that we mm. would be... Like, they didn't let this play out at all. No, they, and... Uh, if you're going to fake it, that's what kind of what you have to do. I disagree. I think that they could have let us, they could have found a way to rewrite this and like make us think he was dead for 40 minutes. And then Chewie comes back 40 minutes later and it, it feels even better. It feels like, yeah. oh my God. True. But then how do you get him? I don't know. And I also don't know Unless, how, you, how you explain that he survived, but figure it out. J.J. Abrams. Yeah, that's fair. There's like, give him some like magical wand that, like makes him teleport it's an, <laughs> or, or a dagger with an inscription that or, allows him to Lando brings him back somehow. Yeah. Uh, that would have been cool. Yeah. Alrighty, Colin, this is not an easy one. I'm shocked. This is, this is my backup master question. Okay. I was going to give you the other one, but, um, what does Zori yell when she wants her crew to take Ray before they kick, before Ray kicks their ass? Uh, it's like a funny little word. It's like a funny little Japanese sounding word. And Poe says, no. And he repeats it. He says, no, yes. don't do that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Jakanaka. Jakanaka. I see. I wouldn't have gotten that. Yeah. And what does that mean? Just seize her? I don't know. Yeah. My guess is it's like a, like a badass move or something there was some good alien babble in this 20 some good like star warsy sounding alien jargon yes. yeah yeah between zori and uh, babu yeah yeah it's also good to hear it from a human for a change because that's one thing that they got is, away from yeah the humans don't speak it back ever and i don't know it's i've i've talked many about my issues with alien treatment in the sequels Okay, uh, anything else you want to say about this 20? Or should we have a few things to move on in the news? Uh, not a whole lot. One thing would be uh, when Kylo silences Hux. Um, yeah. And he uses his Harrison Ford point. He does what? He uses the classic Harrison Ford point to silence him. Oh, I don't. I didn't draw that connection at all. Do you think that was deliberate? Oh, definitely. Really? Think of the classic like Harrison Ford point. That he does it as Han Solo yeah. as well, but he does it in like every Harrison Ford movie. And like Kylo like silences Hux with it. It's it's that's the way I hundred percent took it anyway. Okay, I guess it's very little uh, Kylo Ren in general in this movie. That's true. Well, that is or in true. This 20, um, but in this movie, kind of um, the, the best mm -hmm. part of it throughout. Uh, when three PO takes Poe's hand for the the Chewie huddle, yeah, the, I thought that was really sweet. It's funny, but again, it's so much contempt for three PO. He's like got this weird look on his face, like why should I have to touch this droid? Move your metal yeah. ass, three PO. We're almost there. That's another quote we forgot yeah, to say. That is another one. That is a good one. Um, yeah, the uh, the Darth three PO line from the southern shore only this blade tells. <laughs> 
The Emperor's Wayfinder is in the Imperial Vault. At Delta 36, transient 936, bearing 32, on a moon in the Endor system. From the southern shore, only this blade tells. I think it's kind of... I mean, I guess that's a kid's movie. But, like, it's kind of yeah. corny the way, in order to um, recite the evil... Uh, his eyes have message. to turn red. His eyes has to turn red and his voice has to get deep. He has to sound like a demon. It's kind of silly. <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> the demon thing as well. Yeah. It's like they've got to translate it and it's got to go through like an auto-tune that just so happens to be demonic. Yeah, like we were led to believe that 3PO was going to get converted for a portion of this movie. It's literally just this moment and it's just to read something to us. Yeah, exactly. It would have been kind of funny if he became like intense and like scary and like wanting to kill the rest of the movie yeah because we see him with the bowcaster later on but he just carries it for like two minutes right another instance where that would have been cool to see 3PL get blown back when trying to fire a bowcaster yes that would be great okay anything else uh no just uh go babu frick all right tell me what's going on in the world of star wars uh not a whole lot but some things uh the Dr. Aphra um, comic book series, uh, that was well-received. It was one of the first ones introduced uh, by Disney canon. And uh, they're redoing and expanding upon the first comic line where she meets Vader, and they're doing it into uh, an audiobook original uh, like play, like they did with the Count Dooku story a little while ago. Cool. And so that's interesting, kind of expanding that character. I don't really... I don't read the comics. Like I follow some like the, like the main arcs. I'll look like just to see what happened in them. I'll read like a second... Like one page summary of them um but the uh, like this is something like i'll, I'll read and so uh i'll be interested to hear about the character because i think dr afra is a very likely character to be interpreted into live action at some point uh, and so this is disney continuing to just i guess test the waters further with this character okay uh so that's a little bit interesting uh nothing on the movie front uh, everything else i have is uh television uh, Anthony Daniels uh, was doing some recording for C-3PO, uh, some animation recording cool. at, at home. And so that means that he is potentially going to be in a new animated show, uh, which would hint at potentially the timeline or whom he's spending time with. And so you know, I would be, it'd be great if Anthony Daniels or 3PO was uh, a primary character in that show to give it some extra Clone Wars-like Star Wars vibes. Um, is he in Clone but- Wars a lot? No, not a lot, but he's in it somewhat to consider. Like he's in it about the same degree that he's in the prequels. Okay. Um, but it would be good in the sense, like, just to provide additional consistency from a from a cartoon perspective, but also also tying it into the the Skywalker saga a little bit. Because I will be curious to know what kind of animation show it will be, uh, and then the timeline. Uh, if it's Ahsoka based, I don't think so, and I don't think they're going to go that route because of what they're doing with Mando. So it, it's it leaves a lot to open, or maybe he's doing something that's just really ancillary and isn't actually uh, a big project, but right. he did hashtag like Disney animation or something. And so that's kind of cool. some, yeah, there's some smoke there that could make sense. Uh, Mando season two, um, Ming Na Wen, a uh, character Fennec Shand or Shand is coming back for season two. And so that's uh, who the Spurs, uh, the Boba Fett likely uh, instance at the end of that episode goes to check if uh, a bounty hunter's dead oh, yeah. from um, the Jake Cannavale character. Now, I heard that uh, Mando three is already in early development. And that's right. Mando three is also uh, like pre-production greenlit my guess is they did that early so that they can do more work that requires less public interaction 
And my guess is like that way they can get kind of kind of double up certain people like, okay, well now I guess you can start working on season three stuff because we kind of have to wait a little bit longer before we can actually shoot anything. So maybe let's see what we can do ahead of time because there's so much digital and effects and robots. And I mean, like, I don't know how long it took them to build baby Yoda the first time. And just writing. (laughs) <laughs> takes a long time yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely and uh it wouldn't surprise me if they're like doing a, a big they could be, do a big change out and in terms of there could be a, a lot of open ends in which they could go after this season I mean, right there's a lot of open ends they can do after the first season so it's pretty open in that regard uh other element of tv shows the cassian show uh is cast uh denise go whoever got or i don't know who that is but also uh bringing back genevieve o'reilly for mon mothma yeah so uh she got cut out of revenge of the sith uh and then finally got to be in rogue one and now is going to be in a tv show so good for her for finally getting to play the role that she was born to play because she looks so spot on for the character well hang on you say she was cut out of revenge of the sith i remember her in revenge of the sith uh deleted scene oh okay yeah, yeah, I mean, I she might. I, I believe she's in it, but I don't think she has any lines. I think she had lines in the deleted. It's just so funny that like she got cast to whether it made the movie or not, whether she got cast to to play this younger version of a previously existing actor, and mm. then like so many years went by, like like ten or fifteen years went by, and they were like, well, actually, you're now the age to play her, the original age, if you want to mm. do that. And you still look like and it. you still look like her, although it's like a very specific look, and like if you have brown it hair is. and you're a thin woman, you could probably play Mon Mothma, but. Uh, and then, like yet again, she gets to to kind of step into another version of this of this character, which I realize is roughly the same time frame because it's Cassian Andor. But like, what an interesting New- relationship to to Star Wars this this woman has. Like, it's very unique and 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 uh, uh, surface, but also kind of cool, kind of deep. Well, it's similar, and I mean, not nearly as cool but also wasn't rooked as much the first time. But like Ian McDermott. Yeah. He only got to be Palpatine for like a couple minutes. And then he got to be the star of a trilogy. Yep. Like 30 years later. Yep. Or 20, I guess 15 years later is when it would have started. But still, like that's pretty damn cool to get like a real crack, a real kick at the can with right, that but character. I, it, and also being more appropriately aged for it in a prequel because he was like 37 in Return of the Jedi. But do you think George ever told him in the 80s, like, sit yes. tight, I'm going to use you down the road? Yes. Yeah. But they none of them knew whether like, but like he told that to Mark Hamill. He told that to all of them because yeah. his goal, he wanted, he wanted to do the nine movies. But he also said like, it, it was never sure whether he was going to do like one, two, three, seven, eight, nine, or like one, two, three, and seven, eight, nine, or what order he would do them. Uh, eventually, became clear. Obviously, he was going to do one, two, three, um, and then seven, eight, nine were up in the air for a while. But um, I, I, he told Mark Hamill, and he told like it was always his intent. I think he made all the actors aware of the ones he would maybe want to use again. Yes. And so I can only assume, but he did straight up tell Ian McDiarmid, though, you are a hundred percent dead. If I do come back for a seven, though, you're dead. <laughs> oh, interesting. But at the same time, that was only because he initially wanted, like, he chose at the end to not do seven, eight. Like, when he did Return of the Jedi, he had decided he wasn't going to do seven, eight, nine. Yes. And, but George Lucas always went back and forth on that. Yeah. So when at that specific point, there was no seven, eight, nine. So he needed six to be the end of it all. And that's why Palpatine existed in it. If he could have done 
at that point and knew he was going to do the nine movies, he wouldn't have even put Palpatine in it. Right. Okay, what else? Which is interesting. Uh, there is going to be a new live action show from the Russian doll creator. Yeah, I saw uh, that too. Leslie Headland. Mm. Uh, and so that's interesting. I'm a little worried about the only description that they have of it uh, and that it's a female-centric show. Uh, if that is the theme, I think that's a serious problem. If the main characters are females, that's totally fine. I don't think there's any but, reason to think that that's the theme of the show. I just, I hope not because it's like... It's clickbait. That's all that is. But like that's the only thing that's known about it though. So it, it seems a little uh, agenda pushy, which is a little bit worrisome if that is the case. But I'm going to 100% reserve judgment because who knows what grapevine that came from. And my guess is there's probably not a script or anything. I just don't, I don't think it seems like that. I think that that's, that it comes from a female creator. It, it maybe if there's a script, the, the female is the lead is female and how, how this writer would know that, I don't know, but they know that they can generate some kind of outrage for better or worse. And they'll get clicks if they, if they use a really like inflammatory headline like that, that's, that's not how it, star Wars stories are not that fundamental. They're not that boring. Well, no, but that's the worry is that there are certain times you put a square peg around hole, but I got enough things to be time- worried about. I'm not worrying about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it should be fine. It's just a matter of, I'm curious to know whether, like, I don't know, deter- why what they're determining to do shows on, because there's a whole, like, it's going to be interesting. Like, what time period will this be in? Right. Is this going to be High Republic? Is this going to be, like, during the older trilogy time? Is it going to be, like, maybe after The Rise of Skywalker? I mean, who knows? I didn't love Russian Doll for what it's worth. That was okay. I, I didn't watch it. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Uh, Clone Wars. And this is, oh my God, the episodes. Getting good. So 12 episode season, it's a four episode season finale. Yeah. It's, a, it's a movie at the end. The fourth last episode starts out with John Williams music, which none of them do. It's like clearly meant to be like, these four episodes are the only they're thing separate. that is the season ender. They're yeah. they're separate. They're what you watch. And I won't spoil anything, but they are um, a complementary puzzle piece to Revenge of the Sith. Cool. Excellent. And there are points where you are updated as to when in... I'll also give this away. It crosses over at that certain things into Revenge of the Sith. And so there are points in the TV show where you're given hints as to what is also occurring. And you're told what is also occurring. And the first episode was one of the best, uh, like the first of these four episodes was one of the best I'd seen in a long time. And then the second episode, which is the most recent one, might be the best episode of Clone Wars ever. Wow. It's incredible. It is Sam Witwer, uh, who is the voice of Darth Maul, is so so good and then even better than that uh, ray park and i forget her name because i don't know this this all the stunt people names but ray park's a different kind of situation yeah uh, but ray park and whoever did the, the stunt coordination for ahsoka that lightsaber battle is insane awesome okay it don't look, give anything it, away no i just say it looks like a like a it, they look like humans yeah it, it really feels like it's a, it gets fully choreographed and it's like one of the best lightsaber fights ever. Amazing. Ever. Can't wait. It can't is wait. sensational. You will absolutely love it. Uh, can't wait to talk more about it. Uh, yeah, these are really, really great episodes. A little bit longer than the usual one, too. So that's a little bit nice. Uh, birthdays, ready for that? Yep. 
Okay, uh, just a couple of really like um, tertiary Star Wars actors, but they deserve their happy birthdays. Uh, Sunday the 26th, Andy Seccombe, who played Watto in The Phantom Menace. And nice. uh, on the 30th, Phil Brown, who played Uncle Owen in the original Star Wars movie. They're, they're both birthday boys this week. For Gotta Cast cool. 1, uh, I think you probably heard that they're going to do a reunion episode of Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. And so I, I wanted to pick uh, Nick Offerman for this week's... Uh, uh, because he was just in devs and, and I think he's actually more diverse as an actor than he probably gets credit for having been oh, yeah. that, that one iconic actor and, and another actor who really sits in a similar place uh, as him pop culturally can also be described that way that they're like so indelibly connected to this this wack this wacky like side character in a huge sitcom when actually they're a, a good artist um, and, and so uh, if you're going to cast one in Star Wars, is it Nick Offerman or Rain Wilson? Ah, so both would work. Uh, the Nick Offerman one, it's interesting because you say that, and yet anybody who truly has watched Parks and Rec has seen the Tammy episodes and knows the range of Nick Offerman. <laughs> sure, of course. But like, I, I mean, like he, he can play other people too. Like uh, yeah. Ron is such a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, he can, he's got range, of course. Uh, Man, either of them could work. Rain Wilson would be an excellent alien or droid. Uh, he's got a look that's n- not like it could be anywhere, but I wouldn't necessarily. He also has a good with his, beard. With his, I was gonna say with his beard, he could be a like a barkeep. But there's nothing that interesting about a character like that. He doesn't have to I be a barkeep. He could be like some monk. He can like be a weird like town person. Like yeah, I I have an easier time picturing Nick Offerman in. Any role that I'm trying to think of, Rain Wilson, I'm also like comparing to Nick Offerman, and I think I go with Nick Offerman uh, across the board. Whether you want to make him, I think you have to make him someone who's somewhat a bit rogue, not necessarily like uh, you would never be able to make him an imperial of sorts, right? Uh, but somebody who is kind of maybe Zen or plays by their own kind of set of rules, or somebody who's a little bit more. Uh, off the beaten path, not I, not a pilot per se, a a junk trader, someone someone useful. I find um, myself thinking, for, I I don't know why this is, but like last week we didn't end up using this person, but uh, I will eventually down the road um, use Sam Rockwell, and, and and I was like, for some reason I have this this uh, this litmus test where I'm like, could they play Beckett? And I and I was like, Sam Rockwell would have been an amazing Beckett. That would have been so yeah. good. And now I'm thinking Nick Offerman, so different, but he could have yeah. been an awesome Beckett. It would just, like that character. Yeah, well. That character is like there's a lot you could do with that guy, and yeah. it really could go in any different direction. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very uh, clear type of character, but one that you can totally take whatever kind of like Woody Harrelson with the spinning gun sort of style at work. But you don't need to be that kind of style the way that you present it. No. Uh, Nick Offerman actually could be an interesting um, version of that for like a Cassian Andor situation. Sure. Now, I, be- I believe that'll be Stellan Skarsgård. Mm. Uh, but like, I think Nick Offerman could pull off that role for sure. Within the Rebellion, something like that, I could see him definitely fitting um, amongst the the Rebellion generals on Hoth. Okay, cool. You heard it here. Well, if you have any thoughts on who you'd rather cast in Star Wars, Rain Wilson or Nick Offerman, you can tweet us at Recorder66. 
uh, or email recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review on your preferred podcast app. If you want to be caught up to where we are by next week, watch the first roughly an hour and 15 minutes of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. And as early as next Monday, which is Star Wars Day, may the 4th be with you, you'll be able to watch it on Disney+. Plus. So that's going to make it a lot easier for for subscribers of that. Uh, And until we get together to discuss that next 20, may the force be with you. Thank you.